So I, I think of it as incompetence, competence, excellence zone, and genius zone. Welcome to the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Each interview, we talk to leaders who differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. These conversations lead to thought-provoking idea sharing and growth, accompanied by entertaining storytelling. Welcome along on our journey to lifelong learning, improved performance, and a look inside the competitive mindset. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Check out my friends Brian and Chris and their podcast, The Greatest Games. They explore coaches' journeys, share some funny stories, and inevitably, Chris tries to stump Brian with some trivia. Check out their website, thegreatestgames.podbean.com and 816basketball on social media. Chad, welcome to The Competitive Mindset. Hey, I appreciate you uh, having me on. No worries. Well, let's dive right in. We won't waste any time. Go back in your memories and tell me about the first time that you participated in a comp or a competition and what memories have stuck with you from that <laughs> oh man um so my mom tells a story that the first time i actually shot at a ball a ball i was like two years old we came back from easter and you know you get those easter eggs that are like empty um those little plastic ones and she said i could barely walk but i like waddled over and I dumped out the basket of eggs onto the floor. And then I kind of waddled. It's very fat kid. Waddled a lot of thigh chaffage back over, put the the basket down and waddled back to the eggs. And I no, you know, no one had ever shown me this, nothing. I just kind of grabbed the eggs and I started shooting, right? And I've been in love ever since. And I remember, what I do remember is then maybe the next or the, maybe two years later, um, you know, competing versus some of my cousins in after Easter, taking those eggs, rolling them down, putting the, the basket, you know, and shooting them now. And it's really fun in retrospect to see my niece and nephew uh, now 10 and 11. But as they're growing up, my, my mom uh, bought these like 10 buckets and each of them have a number, maybe six buckets one through six and then you know we would play this game now where we put them up against the wall and then be back on the couch and you know if you make it a bucket one you get one point making a bucket six so yeah so i think competition we're not a i wouldn't call us a huge sports family i'm the only i take that back my sister my i'm the youngest of four and the second sibling she taught me basketball and until she blew out her acls multiple times in high school she played she coached my little bitty team, and she's really the reason that I fell in love with the game. But outside of basketball for her, none of my siblings played any other sports, and we're not a huge sports family besides my father. We, we love to watch sports, but but um, yeah, I don't know. My mom always had had us shooting little things in the hoops, I guess. Uh, and so I can remember competing uh, then as kind of the first time I, I ever went after it. But I was known as an ultra-competitive kid. Um maybe just trying to find my way as the youngest of four. And uh, I was not the greatest to grow up with because if you beat me, I would cry and run away from the house. Uh, literally, like try to run away as far as I could. If I won, I got through a tantrum, got upset because uh, I said that you let me win. So, and I wouldn't let games end in ties. So my siblings stopped playing sports against me. My dad had the toughest time playing sports against me because, uh, yeah, there was many, many a neighbor who called 
and said, uh, Chad's running away again. Just wanted to let you know he's down the street. Uh, so the ages of five to nine were <laughs> not so easy on my uh, on my folks. Well, it's interesting you say this about being very competitive as a kid. I, I've had a few people reach out to me lately about like tips for their kids who are getting into sport who are competitive and how to like make it a healthy balance. Do you remember any tools or tricks that your parents tried to help you with to combat some of the things, whether from you being uh, a winner, um, you know, and not enjoying it because you thought they were taking it too easy or being a sore loser? You know, I don't, besides uh, turning them into long series. I remember like the best of sevens, like, you know, you beat me at ping pong and instead of me throwing a tantrum to say, all right, well, we're going to play the best of seven. We'll play the second game tomorrow. So I think they just tried to elongate it out uh, and hope that I would grow out of it. And, and I did, you know, I think, um, and I'm sure there was many gentle reminders and great teaching moments. I'm, I'm blessed to be born into two fantastic nurturing, loving parents. So I'm sure there was lots in between, but you'd ha I'd have to ask them and get back to you on that one. Sure. No worries. I, I love those stories. So now keeping in mind your competitiveness and also your career path, can you kind of walk us through side by side how your competitive nature has assisted you with what you're doing in your professional life? It's interesting also how I've become less competitive. Um, and that actually, I think, has assisted me actually in longevity and outlasting other people because in, in office, you know, I would say politics, but in, in office dynamics and power plays and also, I've actually gotten less competitive and I've actually just rode out the storm and just outlasted people. But I, I also did that in college basketball, which I, I can share a little bit later. Um, but you know, at my size, I'm five, eight, uh, which is probably generous. Um, and I think I gained a kind of competitive fire. I bottled up the doubt it was a huge motivator for me. So, you know, from a very young age, uh, people say, well, you know, I'd say, I want to play in the NBA and, and you know, well, you're really small. Uh, and so I always took that. And even like wanting to play in college, people saying I was too small. I always took that as a bit of chip on the shoulder and, and used that. Um, and I think that assisted me, you know, when I got opportunities with PGC basketball, it was a dream opportunity, something I dreamed about since I had, you know, learned from Dina Evans as a student myself. And I was severely outqualified at that when I came in as a director, every other director, you know, played on the Olympic teams or for their country, for Canada or America, or were all Americans. Lindsay Medra Finley had led the nation in assists two years in a row, was a top draft pick and all these credentials. And I was like this little D3 guy, nothing wrong with D3. Uh, but hey, you know, UW lacrosse in Wisconsin, you don't have to apologize <laughs> for playing D3, <laughs> you know, so, um, I let that, that, that kind of drove me. It's just like, you know, I'm, I'm not the most qualified, AKA the same as like, I'm not the biggest, I'm not the fastest, I'm not the strongest. So like, I'm just going to outwork you. And I think that's, that's, that has assisted me, especially in my early career years. I think it had hit a peak where that became unhealthy. And I think I had to learn you know, uh, definitely had a period of burnout, definitely had a situation where, you know, um, some unfortunate circumstances, my reaction was to like, just hit the ground running and work, work, work. And then it just led to like, um, not actual health. So I think there has to be those periods of learning and, and maybe, you know, someone teach you that so you don't have to experience it yourself. I had a mentor say that um, knowledge is uh, what you learn from your own experiences and wisdom is what you're able to learn from other people's experiences. Um, and so I think I wish I would have talked about competitiveness with other older athletes sooner. 
and athletes who transitioned out. Um, and I think I, ha- I learned it the hard way through my own experiences. And, and at you know, the late 20s, figured it out like, all right, this isn't sustainable. Um, can I still contribute in the most efficient way possible from a work scenario and still be very competitive, but just compete in my niche where I'm the best? And, you know, all this other kind of busy stuff or, or work just to show that I'm working hard, like maybe that's not I've already you know, you do have to do that, I think, to earn your spot on a team or to earn your spot in a career. You do have to like, you know, a lot of times do the hard, dirty work and show how hard you can work to build your brand and to build your trust in that team or in that organization. But I think it gets to a place once you've done that over the course of the first several years, I think you need to then focus on efficiency um and that's the same on a team like you've got to show you in the weight room in the off season but then as the season goes around like i think you become most competitive by starring in your role and figuring out what is my niche what am i the best at okay can i just really do that really well rather than just try to show everyone how hard i can work in every arena of the game or the profession whatever it may be so you mentioned in there teaching competitiveness to your athletes you know i think you just alluded to a little bit but if you were to go back right what is one thing that you would teach to the older athletes about competitiveness that you think would assist them that you learned the hard way? Bust your butt for the first couple of years, work hard in every arena you can do extra, all that sort of stuff to gain the trust and respect of your colleagues. And then like figure out your niche and try and try to not every organization is going to be open to that. I'm fortunate to work on projects and started my own businesses. So I have control over that of being in my genius zone. So I, I think of it as incompetence, competence, excellence zone, and genius zone. So you're either incompetent in something, you're competent, and people mostly stay in excellence. So it's things that you can do well, but they generally take a little extra energy, but uh, it's easy for you to succeed or you love working hard in that area and you're good at it. Um, but the genius zone is really where you want to get to, I think, from a competitive professional space. And that's where, like, that is your highest level of contribution skill talent whatever it may be or passion and it feels like time ceases to exist when you work in that area and so that's what i would advise to athletes who are transitioning to professionals like hey bust your butt and then try to find your genius zones and then try to potentially contribute that's the beautiful thing of how our world is shifting is not just like you work for one company your whole life but you potentially you know work part-time for three companies and then it's easier to get in your genius zone for those three things of you know, my buddy's a CFO, he was an accountant, but now he's a CFO virtually for three different companies. But with that, he's able to put together and be perfectly where he likes about accounting. Um, for basketball, it's harder. Um, I'd be so fascinated to hear your your 30 second response on that as you've interviewed so many people. I don't believe in everything being innate. Like I don't believe that you know, I think there's physical athleticism and some of that is genetic and there's tied to that, but I'm talking about like a lot of mental skills. I don't think it's all innate. I think you can teach people how to be resilient and you can teach people how to respond to adversity and all sorts of stuff. Because I've seen it at PGC and I've done it in other arenas. I think competitiveness is one of the harder things to teach. Um, but this is where I think it's the art of, of teaching and coaching is like, I think different people have different competitive triggers. And so, you know, for me, if you wanted me to really compete, like my trigger was you, you told me I couldn't do it. Right. And, and that is for a lot of people. That's their trigger. Um, and, you know, I think there's intrinsic motivation and extrinsic. 
and and I don't always love the like to only go in extrinsic. I think there's times for it. For competitiveness, though, you know, I generally go towards the intrinsic because you can force someone to compete for a short amount of time based on if you don't do this, you're going to run or, you know, punishment, blah, blah, blah. But like to really grow someone's competitive spirit, it has to be their choice. And so my thing is, how would I teach athletes how to be competitive? I'd actually probably sit down and talk to them for like 15 or 20 minutes or have lunch with them. And I, they wouldn't know what I'm doing, but psychologically, I'd be kind of examining them and figuring out like, you know, how could I get them to trigger to get that kind of fer ferocious, you know, lion inside them to come out. And so that's not a great answer because it's not a size fits all, um, but that's truly what I would do. Yeah. For me, the other thing besides doubt is I had constant reminders. So let's say probably the most competitive I was. I feel like college basketball, like it burned me out a bit, just truthfully. It's just so hard. It's so long. And, and like by my end of it, I was just like, I don't want to actually compete anymore. Like I'm just, I need a break. But my most competitive, I was probably like my, my junior, senior year in high school and my freshman year in college. And, you know, I, and I was shooting in high school and junior, senior year, like 5 a.m. I was up shooting 400, 600 shots every morning for you know, Monday through Friday. And like for me, it was reminders. So I like had posters or little sticky notes of like, you know, you're training while your competitor's sleeping, you know, there's someone out there better than you. And it was just like all these little reminders of like, you know, for me, of just like to get up at five in the morning and compete versus myself as well. Um, and so I track my results. And I think that's a big one that people miss out. It's a great trigger for competitors that, you know, sure, you can say that, that guy or girl who's your district opponent, like they beat you last year, and you can use that. But it's not as tangible as like, I shot 43% last month, I'm going to shoot 46% this month. And that like, that is a trigger that I think so many athletes miss out on and even coaches, because um, you can you can track as a team or as as an individual and really bring out people's competitiveness when they're trying to beat themselves. Well, it's much healthier as well, because you are motivating against yourself and you don't have to find someone else who may not always be there. You, you're always there for yourself to be able to motivate yourself. All right. You hit on a couple of points, but I'm going to I'm gonna go off the word doubt. So in yeah, but, but can I pause you? Can I pause you? Can I get yeah. your 30, 30 second at least response to like, how would you teach competitiveness to athletes? I don't think you can teach it to them. You have to find it within them and pull out exactly what you said with taking them to lunch and listening to them because there is no cookie cutter answer to here's the book go read it now you're competitive that's just right. not how it works so you have to draw out what motivates them what they want to accomplish with their goals or their aspirations and then inform them about how this process can help them get that fulfillment that they're seeking mm. the tricky part is when we get to that fulfillment that we're seeking we're never satisfied, right? <laughs> and you're laughing and smiling because we have all experienced the same thing because there's always the next thing. And so you have to keep them motivated to understand that there is always going to be a next thing that you're going to accomplish and try to enjoy the moment of what you did just accomplish. That's life. Very hard thing. I'm still figuring that out at 35. Just had a conversation with a mentor yesterday about that from a financial perspective. Yeah, every day it's a new challenge. All right, doubt. When you're competing now with the curriculum you're developing, or if you go play checkers, are you driven by the fear of losing or the joy of winning? 
I live with my spouse and four of my best friends, right? We have kind of two, two level house. There's apartments downstairs. We rent them out. The ping pong table in the garage. We compete every day. And unless I'm playing in a, you know, around pro basketball players, you know, if I compete in, I'm in most things, um, and I'm sure a lot of former athletes feel this way when they go out to just the real world, you pretty much are on the better half or the best at what you're doing. For me, what motivates me now is everyone's enjoyment. <laughs> I spent so many years just beating people or trying to beat people or trying to, you know, just stomp on their throat, you know, from a, in a formal, not to hurt anybody, but in a formal sports setting that now when I compete in sports, I'm playing in a volleyball tournament on sand volleyball tournament on Saturday with some friends, play ping pong all the time, you know, ultimate frisbee or go throw football or shoot, whatever, play one-on-one. I don't actually care about winning or losing anymore. Actually, sand volleyball brings out the most competitiveness to me, even more than basketball. So like, I'll want to win on Saturday. I'll try to win. And it's, uh, I don't actually like fear losing. I just, you know, I, it's almost like I just want to play my best. Um, and so sometimes in those types of competitions, like it's, it, it still is about like, I know what my best is. And it's more about that than if we like win a tournament. And so I think that's the cool thing about shooting millions of shots and tracking all of them is I've gotten so obsessed with competing versus myself. And as I'm working on a curriculum, it's not like, can I do curriculum better than the, the former curriculum person or the next curriculum person? It's just like, I know what my best is. And I, and so it's more about competing. It's me, but for the most part now I'm playing, it's, you know, friends, people, whatever, playing shuffleboard at a, you know, in a restaurant, whatever. I just want people to have fun. So it's actually hard. And, and it's my roommates actually had a, or housemates had a conversation of just like, you know, it can be not fun sometimes if it feels like I'm letting them win, but also like I can win every ping pong game 21 to 12 if I wanted. So it's like this weird dynamic that I'm sure other former athletes feel just like it's no longer fun to just crush people. Isn't um, it weird how it came full circle from you as a kid being upset that people were letting you beat them? Now your friends are doing that to you. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's interesting. I think, you know, that isn't competitiveness, right? I think that's more about communalness and just about like people enjoying the day and enjoying the experience, enjoying the sport experience. And so now I actually, I'm competing to find the balance of where do I feel like someone's being pushed and they're enjoying it, but without manipulating it so much to where it's obvious that I'm manipulating it. Right. All right. So you talked about failure. And so, so you hit a trigger word for me there. I'm curious, what's your favorite failure that you've had in your life that you learned a life lesson from, then you continually revisit in your mind? to make sure that it's present and you use going forward to improve or be better in whatever you're working on. I was an OCD kid in the sense of a perfectionist. I never got a B my entire life, right? And I had a professor in college my freshman year who was intent on giving me a B or just not an A, right? And I didn't, he didn't know that I'd never got A, but just he knew what type of student I was. And I was, you know, over obsessive and all this stuff and just like, it was more about the A than about the learning. And that's where I wasn't seeing the picture. 
And so um, in that process, you know, I'd only gotten A's up to that point in that process and in that semester in that class, that was one of my favorite failures because it made me realize like he did teach me that lesson. Like it's not about the perfect score on the scorecard. It's about how much and how you learn. And so I think it allowed me and I still would go back and in college, I would like enjoy my peers more and just spend more time enjoying my peers. I mean, I had a great social life and all stuff, especially as an athlete, but if it was the choice between like finishing a school thing, and this is probably bad advice for young people, but <laughs> finishing a school thing or project, you know, or like hanging out with friends, like I would, I would over obsess and spend two extra hours on the school thing when it's just like, dude, it's good. It's great. You finished it. Like go enjoy yourself. And so that was one of my favorite failures. Um, you know, not getting an A in that class because it, it just like, it let go of, it maybe let go of the perfect slate, the perfect scorecard and actually just focus on the learning. And since, you know, I'm, I've learned more after college than all of that learning because I'm an incessant learner. It's more about the learning than like the score or the proof that you learned. Um, and that was one of my favorite failures. All right. Now, similarly, you mentioned mentor a little bit earlier. So I'm curious, a mentor at some point in your life, maybe not necessarily right now, but tell me about a life lesson that you learned from that mentor that has stuck with you that you want to share with others because you think it would be helpful. Yeah, so when I when I was in college, I think young people should like spend so much energy on identifying and trying to keep mentors. Initially, it was just like I eventually got like the first four or five great mentors. And then as I progressed out of college, it became like the great four or five financial mentors who are different than the four or five, you know, spiritual mentors who are different than the four or five relationship and family mentors who are different than four or five business mentors. And, and so I eventually like it, it enveloped into that. So, man, so many directions to go with that. But I think one of the one of the people who exist in the most spheres, right, because generally all those pockets are actually different people is Mano Watsa, who's the president and, and owner of PGC. And he's just a fantastically wise and, and amazing leader. And um, there's so many life lessons I've learned from him and watching him lead PGC and leading PGC with him for, you know, I, I give him a hard time because I'm the only person who's been around longer than him because I was, you know, a staff member with Dina Evans before Mano came aboard. Um, but I've got to watch the whole thing. And I have never seen a human truly live out the concept that people are trying to do the best with what they know at that given moment. And the level of grace that he extends as a leader and forgiveness has made me a better man, has made me a better leader, has made me a better business owner in my own projects. Um, and his ability to forgive, you know, um, not like, ungodly mistakes might happen just like a couple of times like I made crucial mistakes and it was and his grace and forgiveness allowed me then a couple of years later when people made actually very egregious you know mistakes against me like I found the grace that he had modeled and just that reminder and it's so important with athletes too and young people even outside of athletics like everyone is generally doing the best they can with what they know and the skills they have at that moment. And so rather than judge them or criticize them or write them off, mostly is what people do, like, okay, this is where they're at. 
how can I help them potentially expand and grow or, or just how can I extend them grace at this moment? Beautiful. All right. You just hit on projects. So you are doing great at segueing me into things here. Tell me about upcoming project that you have that you're motivated with accomplishing. Um, so the three things that are, uh, I've kind of retired out of something, some of my initial business projects and the three things that are getting the majority of my attention is, um, in real estate, we both have our own portfolio and we have a charity that uses real estate to educate young women throughout Africa. And so that's always a motivation for me. Um, as I think, you know, what a fortune that we were just born and have access to education because of the country we were born into or because of the scenario. So education, I think, I think women are a huge untapped resource around the planet. Uh, and so I think education is one of the ways to just tap into elevating humanity. Um, and then there's two basketball projects. So uh, I am uh, bringing back our PGC, our college session. So very excited about that. We've kind of had that on hiatus for eight or nine years. And so it looks like we'll have about um, about 20 Division One male college players, 20 Division One female college players, about five or seven pro players of each gender, and you know college coaches attending in August. And yeah, just a beautiful opportunity to prepare them for the adversity mentally that is college basketball to introduce them to some of the PGC concepts and also connect them to some expertise. One of the sports psychologists who I'm, I'm friends with, who you know works with the Wizards and a lot of other pro uh, teams, is going to come in and talk about psychology and confidence with me. And so, just really excited to be able to serve. I think college basketball is so hard mentally. Um, people have no concept of just the the challenge of four years of that. So, really excited to serve them and also just help them become better basketball players and leaders and communicators. Um, and and also now overseeing PGC's curriculum. And so just uh, getting to use my experiences in teaching methodology and, and all these things to make our teachers better teachers, our directors better teachers. And then the third project I'm working on is something called Strata Athletics, which was founded by myself and a, a good friend uh, and mentor named Tim. And we brought on Brittany Donaldson, who was the former assistant for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, Brittany's a PGC grad student of mine. I've stayed in touch and mentored her through her professional career. And uh, yeah, she really wanted impact over you know, what, what, uh, the NBA is amazing and, you know, all the lights and cameras and action and all that, but, uh, the chance to really impact the entire sports community. And so we're working in youth development and hopefully over the next four or five years, be a lot of experimenting and tinkering using her data and analytics background and the technology from the NBA and combining it with a lot of the intangibles from, you know, PGC and other things like that and seeing if, can we, in the same way you have stats for, all the physical things in, in basketball or in soccer or in volleyball or in football, having actual technological uh, ability to measure the intangibles with stats as well. So not easy because people have already done it. So that's what the great challenge of what we're trying to do. Um, and yeah, our inaugural kind of season kicks off tomorrow here in Austin. So super excited to uh, go on a little 10 week journey with some, some junior high players and uh, learn a lot and get to impact their lives a lot through the game of basketball. Awesome. Um, I'll be interested to see the results and where you come out on the back end of that one. <laughs> All right. I'll get you out of here with a non-basketball related question, a little bit more lighthearted. So use your imagination a bit and imagine you're looking inside of a refrigerator and you had to choose one item in that refrigerator that best identifies with who you are as a person. What item would it be and why would a 
identify with who you are? Um, I would be a packet of blueberries because I love health and the antioxidant properties within them generally leave people better than they found them. And that is one of my goals in life is to leave people better than I found them. Beautiful. No hesitation. You came up with that beautiful answer. Chad, thanks for coming on the Competitive Mindset to share with us and best of luck with your endeavors. I appreciate you. And hey, thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, hearing all your future guests as well. 